Alright guys, welcome back to yet unnamed interstitial session of Mark's Madness. You know, the one where Nathan just straight up reads work because he has nothing better to do and, and this is what he does with his life now. Um, we're back in the cave. We're, uh, we're, we're not reading reading angles again this time. We are reading from the man himself. We are reading some very good Vladimir Lenin. Uh, the Proletarian Revolution and the Renegade Kautsky, to be specific. Now, obviously, uh, we, we talked about it at the introduction of State and Rev. Uh, if, if State and Rev could have a subtitle um, that it doesn't already have, it would be State and Revolution, a giant dunk on Kautsky. Um, and it turns out that Lenin actually wrote that exact work and just called it the Proletarian Revolution and the Renegade Kautsky. Now, this work is a little bit longer than on authority. So, again, these are all at your own discretion. If you want them, they're here. If you don't, you know, then, you know, you don't have to be here. You, this is free. You can go. It's okay. I'm not going to be upset. Um, that being said, it was written on October 10th, 1918. It was first published on October 11th, 1918. Good work. Getting that turnaround. In Pravda, number 219. Uh, it was published according to the manuscript. It's sourced from Lenin's collected works. Uh, and this was translated by Jim Reardon. So if, uh, if any of the translation is wrong, don't blame me. Blame Jim. Jim did it. Uh, and this is from the Lenin Internet Archives, which you can go if you just if you type in the Proletarian Revolution and the Reggae Kautsky, it comes right up. It's super easy. Uh, all right. And here we go. This is the title of a pamphlet I have begun to write in criticism of Kautsky's pamphlet, The Dictatorship of the Proletariat, which has just appeared in Vienna. But as this work is taking longer than I had anticipated, I had decided to ask Pravda to find space for a short article on the subject. Over four years of a most exhausting and reactionary war have done their work. One can feel the impending proletarian revolution in Europe, in Austria, Italy, Germany, France, and even Britain. Very significant, for example, is the article Confessions of a Capitalist in the July number of the Arch Opportunist Socialist Review, edited by the semi-liberal Ramsey MacDonald. And at a time like this, Mr. Kautsky, leader of the Second International, comes out with a book on the dictatorship of the proletariat in words on the proletarian revolution that is a hundred times more disgraceful, outrageous, and renegade than Bernstein's notorious premises of socialism. Nearly 20 years have elapsed since the appearance of that renegade book, and now Kautsky repeats this renegacy in an even grosser form. Only a very small part of the book deals with the Russian Bolshevik Revolution as such. Kautsky repeats every one of the Menshevik's pearls of wisdom in a way that would make the Russian worker split his sides laughing. Just imagine, for example, what goes by the name of Marxism. The argument peppered with quotations from the semi-liberal works by the semi-liberal Maslov that the rich peasants are trying to appropriate the land, parentheses, novel, that they find high grain prices profitable, and so on. Then our Marxist makes the following contemptuous and utterly liberal statement. The poor peasant is recognized here, that is, by the Bolsheviks in the Soviet Republic, to be a permanent and wholesome product of the socialist agrarian reform under the dictatorship of the proletariat. Page 48 of Kautsky's pamphlet. Fine. Here is a socialist, a Marxist, who tries to prove to us the bourgeois nature of the revolution, and who at the same time scoffs at the organization of the poor peasants, quite in the spirit of Maslov, Potsdrov, and the cadets. The expropriation of the rich peasants only introduces a new element of unrest and civil war into the production process, which urgently needs peace for its security and its recovery. 
incredible, but there we are. These are the very words, not of Savinkov or of Miokov, but of Kotsky. Kotsky does not surprise us, since we in Russia have seen so many cases of Marxism being used as a screen by defenders of the kulaks. For the benefit of the European reader, I should perhaps dwell in greater detail on this despicable kowtowing to the bourgeoisie and the liberal fear of civil war. But for the Russian worker and peasant, it is enough to point one's finger at Kautsky's renegacy and pass on. Nearly nine-tenths of Kautsky's book is devoted to a general theoretical question of the utmost importance, the question of the relation between the dictatorship of the proletariat and quote-unquote democracy. And it is here that Kautsky's complete break with Marxism is particularly evident. Kautsky assures his reader in a perfectly serious and extremely learned tone what Marx meant by revolutionary dictatorship of the proletariat. It was not a form of governing that precludes democracy, but a state, namely a state of rule, and the rule of the proletariat as the majority of the population is possible with the strictest observance of democracy, and for instance, The Paris Commune, which was in fact a dictatorship of the proletariat, was elected by universal suffrage. The fact that Marx thought that in England and America the transition to communism might take place peacefully, i.e. in a democratic way, proves that when he spoke of the dictatorship of the proletariat, Marx did not have in mind a form of government. Or a form of government. Incredible! But there we are. That is exactly the way Kowski argues, and he angrily accuses the Bolsheviks of violating quote-unquote democracy in their constitution and throughout their policy. And he takes every opportunity to energetically preach the democratic instead of the dictatorial method. This is a complete desertion to the opportunists, those like David Cobb and the other pillars of German social chauvinism, or the English Fabians and independents, or the French and Italian reformists who have declared more frankly and honestly that they do not accept Marx's doctrine of the dictatorship of the proletariat on the grounds that it runs counter to democracy. It is a complete reversion to the views of the pre-Marxist German socialists, who used to claim they wanted a quote-unquote free people state to the views of the petty bourgeois Democrats who did not understand that every state is a machine for the oppression of one class by another. It is a complete renunciation of the proletarian revolution, which is replaced by the liberal theory of winning a majority and utilizing democracy. Kautsky, the renegade, has completely forgotten, distorted, and thrown overboard everything Marx and Engels taught for 40 years, from 1852 to 1891, demonstrating the need for the proletariat to smash the bourgeois state machine. To analyze Kautsky's theoretical mistakes in detail, would be repeating what I have said in The State and Revolution. Hi, guys. There is no need for that. I shall only say briefly, Kautsky has renounced Marxism by forgetting that every state is a machine for the suppression of one class by another, and that the most democratic bourgeois republic is a machine for the oppression of the proletariat by the bourgeoisie. The dictatorship of the proletariat, The proletarian state, which is a machine for the suppression of the bourgeoisie by the proletariat, is not a form of governing, but a state of a different type. Suppression is necessary because the bourgeoisie will always furiously resist being expropriated. 
The argument that Marx in the 70s allowed for the possibility of a peaceful transition to socialism in England and America is completely fallacious, or to put it bluntly, dishonest, in that it is juggling with quotations and references. Firstly, Marx regarded it as an exception even then. Secondly, in those days, monopoly capitalism, i.e. imperialism, did not exist. Thirdly, in England and America, there was no militaristic clique then, as there is now, serving as the cheap apparatus of the bourgeois state. You cannot have liberty, equality, and so on when there is suppression. That is why Engels said, so long as the proletariat still needs a state, it does not need it in the interest of freedom, but in order to hold down its adversaries. And as soon as it becomes possible to speak of freedom, the state as such ceases to exist. Bourgeois democracy, which is invaluable in educating the proletariat and training it for the struggle, is always narrow, hypocritical, spurious, and false. It always remains democracy for the rich and a swindle for the poor. Proletarian democracy suppresses the exploiters, the bourgeoisie, and is therefore not hypocritical, does not promise them freedom and democracy, and gives the working people genuine democracy. Only Soviet Russia has given the proletariat and the whole vast laboring majority of Russia a freedom and democracy unprecedented, impossible, and inconceivable in any bourgeois democratic republic. By, for example, taking the palaces and mansions away from the bourgeoisie, without which freedom of assembly is sheer hypocrisy. By taking the print shops and stocks of paper away from the capitalists, without which freedom of the press of the nation for the nation's laboring majority is a lie. And by replacing bourgeois parliamentarianism by the democratic organization of the Soviets, which are a thousand times nearer to the people and more democratic than the most democratic bourgeois parliament, and so on. Kautsky has thrown overboard the class struggle as applied to democracy. Kautsky has become a downright renegade and a lackey of the bourgeoisie. I must mention, in passing, a few gems of his renegacy. Kautsky has to admit that the Soviet form of organization is of worldwide and not only of Russian significance. That is one of the most important phenomena of our times, and that it promises to acquire decisive significance in the future great battles between capital and labor. But imitating the wisdom of the Mensheviks, who have happily sided with the bourgeoisie against the proletariat, Kautsky deduces that the Soviets are all right as battle organizations, but not as state organizations. Marvelous! Form up in Soviets, you proletarians and poor peasants! But for God's sakes, don't you dare win! Don't even think of winning! The moment you will and win and vanquish the bourgeoisie, that will be the end of you, for you must not be state organizations in a proletarian state. In fact, as soon as you have won, you must break up! What a marvelous Marxist this man Kautsky is! What an inimitable theorician of renegacy! Gem number two. Civil war is the mortal enemy of social revolution, for as we have already heard, the latter needs peace, for I lied to the rich, and security, for the capitalists. Workers of Europe don't think of revolution until you have found a bourgeoisie who will not hire Sadnikov and Dan, Dutov and Krasnov, Czechs and Kulaks to wage civil war on you. Marx wrote in 1870 that the chief hope lay in the practice in arms that the war had given the French workers. 
What Kautsky, the Marxist, expects of four years of war is not the use of arms by the workers against the bourgeoisie. Heaven forbid that wouldn't really be democratic, but the conclusion of a nice little peace by the nice little capitalists. Gem number three. Civil war has another unpleasant side to it. Whereas democracy provides for the protection of the minority, as we might note in parentheses those in France who stood up for Dreyfus and people like Leipnach, McLean, or Debs in more recent times have learned so well from their own experiences. Civil war, mark that, threatens the vanquished with complete annihilation. Well, isn't this man Kautsky a real revolutionary? He is heart and soul for revolution, provided there's no serious struggle-threatening annihilation. He has completely overcome the old errors of old Engels, who so enthusiastically lauded the educational value of violent revolutions. Like the whole serious historian he is, he has completely renounced the delusions of those who said that civil war steals the exploited and teaches them to build a new society without exploiters. GM number four. Viewed historically, was the dictatorship of the workers and petty bourgeoisie in the 1789 revolution great and beneficial? <laughs> Certainly not. For along came Napoleon. The dictatorship of the lower sections of the population paves the way for the dictatorship of the sword. Like all liberals to whose camp lie has deserted, our serious historian is firmly convinced that in countries which have not known the dictatorship of the lower sections, Germany, for example, there has never been a dictatorship of the sword. Germany has never been distinguished from France by a grosser and viler dictatorship of the sword that is all slander thought out by Marx and Engels, who brazenly lied when they said that there have been so so far been a greater love of freedom and a greater pride of the oppressed among the people in France than in England or Germany, and that it was precisely her revolutions that France had to thank for this. But enough. One would have to write a whole pamphlet to enumerate all the jebs of renegacy of that despicable renegade Kautsky. I must say a word or two about Mr. Kautsky's internationalism. He inadvertently cast light upon it himself by his most sympathetic way of portraying the internationalism of the Mensheviks, who, dear Mr. Kautsky assures us, were also Zimmerwaldists, and if you please, are brothers of the Bolsheviks. Here is his lovely little picture of the Zimmerwaldism of the Mensheviks. The Mensheviks wanted universal peace. They wanted all those in the war to accept the slogan, no annexations or indemnities. Until this would have been achieved, the Russian army, in their opinion, should have maintained itself in a state of fighting readiness, but the wretched Bolsheviks disorganized the army and concluded the wretched brest priest treaty. And Kautsky says, as clear as clear can be, that the Constituent Assembly should have been preserved and the Bolsheviks should not have taken power. So internationalism means supporting one's own imperialist government, as the Mensheviks and social revolutionaries supported Kerensky, it means concealing its secret treaties, hoodwinking the people with fancy phrases such as that we demand the savage beast be tamed, we demand the imperialist governments accept the slogan of no annexations or indemnities. That, in Kautsky's opinion, is internationalism. In our opinion, it's sheer renegacy. Internationalism means breaking with one's own social chauvinists, i.e. defense advocates, and with one's own imperialist government. It means waging a revolutionary struggle against the government and overthrowing it, and being ready to make the greatest national sacrifices, even down to a brest peace treaty, if it should benefit the development of the world workers' revolution. 
We all know very well that Kautsky and his friends, Strobel, Bernstein, and the rest, were greatly put out by the Brest-Litovsk Treaty. They would have liked us to have made a gesture that would at once have turned over power in Russia to the bourgeoisie. These dim-witted but all too nice and kind German petty bourgeois were not interested in the proletarian Soviet Republic, the first country in the world to overthrow its imperialism by revolutionary means, maintaining itself until the revolution took place in Europe, fanning the flames of the conflagration in other countries. The petty bourgeois dread a conflagration in Europe. They dread civil war, which disturb peace and security. No, what interested them was to maintain in all countries the petty bourgeois nationalism which calls itself internationalism because of its moderate and propriety. If only the Russian Republic had remained bourgeois and had waited, then everybody on earth would have been a good, moderate, non-predatory, petty bourgeois nationalist. And that, in fact, would have been internationalism. This is the line of thought of the Kautskyites in Germany, the Longists, in France, the independents in England, Torati and his comrades in the Renegade in Italy, and the rest of the crowd. By now, only an utter idiot can fail to see that we were not only right in overthrowing our bourgeoisie and their lackeys, the Mensheviks and social revolutionaries, but also in concluding the Brest-Litovsk Treaty after our own appeal for universal peace, backed by the publication and annulment of the secret treaties, had been rejected by the bourgeoisie of the Entente. In the first place, if we had not concluded the Brest-Litovsk Peace Treaty, we would at once have surrendered power to the Russian bourgeoisie, and thus have done untold damage to the World Socialist Revolution. In the second place, at the cost of national sacrifices, we preserve such an international revolutionary influence that today we have Bulgaria directly imitating us, Austria and Germany in a state of ferment, both imperialist systems weakened while we have grown stronger and begun to create a real proletarian army. From the tactics of Kautsky the Renegade, it follows that the German workers should now defend their homeland together with the bourgeoisie and dread a German revolution most of all, for the British might impose a new edition of the Brest-Litovsk peace on it. There's Renegade for you. There's petty bourgeois national. We, however, say that while the loss of the Ukraine was a grave national sacrifice, it helped to steal and strengthen the workers and poor peasants of the Ukraine as revolutionary fighters for the world workers' revolution. The Ukraine's suffering was the world's revolution's gain, for the German troops were corrupted. German imperialism was weakened, and the German, Ukrainian, and Russian revolutionary workers were drawn closer together. It would, of course, be nicer if we could overthrow both Wil Wilhelm and Wilson simply by war, but that is utter nonsense. We cannot overthrow them by a war from without, but we can speed up their internal disintegration. We have achieved that on an immense scale by the Soviet proletarian revolution. The German workers would do it even more successfully if they began a revolution disregarding national sacrifice. That alone is internationalism. If they said, and backed their words by actions, that they prized the interest of the world workers' revolution higher than the integrity, security, and peace of any national state, their own in particular. Europe's greatest misfortune and danger is that it has no revolutionary party. It has parties of traitors like the Schneidmans, Hundels, Hendersons, Webbs, and company, and of servile souls like Kautsky, but it has no revolutionary party. Of course, a mighty popular revolutionary movement may rectify this deficiency, but it is nevertheless a serious misfortune and a grave danger. 
This is why we must do our utmost to expose renegades like Kautsky, thereby supporting the revolutionary groups of genuine internationalist workers who are to be found in all countries. The proletariat will very soon turn away from the traitors and renegades and follow these groups, drawing and training leaders from their midst. No wonder the bourgeoisie of all countries are howling about world Bolshevism. Because world Bolshevism will conquer. All right. So this was roughly twice as long as the last one, uh, where we're working our way up. Eventually, it's just gonna be, this is just gonna be me reading capital to you. For, it's just gonna be a capital audio. No, we won't. I wouldn't do that. I, I don't. I don't dislike myself that much. Um, no, this has been this has been episode two of, of Nathan Reed's Marxist Leninist works in his closet. Um, Again, if you like these, you know, let us know. We'll keep doing more. If there's something in particular you think should be read in this series, throw it at me. I'm more than happy to sit in the closet and read it. Um, otherwise, I'm just going to keep picking things that I like and keep reading them. So listen, don't listen. Uh, thank you. Uh, and if you if you really want to really want to support us, you know, just shout us out on the on the Twitter. That's where people find stuff these days. Give us give us a shout out on the Twitter. Thank you, uh, Pearls Pod, and uh, and all of you fun fun Pearls Pod people that we found in Discord and on Twitter. Uh, thank you so much for amplifying us. I really we I mean we cannot say thank you enough. That was really really cool and organic that you guys just kind of showed up. It was awesome. Um, and and anything we can do to to keep furthering the revolution, that's what we're here for. Uh, we will see you again whenever this falls in the timeline. Bye.